Good morning, church. Uh, today's passage is taken from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 17. This, then, is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human courts. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that's without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We're fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We're weak, but you're strong. You're honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we're brutally treated, we're homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. This is the word of the Lord. If I could ask you to keep your Bibles open to chapter 4, that would be great. One of the reasons why we do this is because we don't want you to be, as we heard last week, infants in Jesus. We want you to be able to feed yourselves, um, feed uh, from God's Word um, yourself. Um, so I'd love for you to, as you listen to the sermon, learn how to read the Bible, to handle the Bible yourself. But let's pray that God will speak to us um, through this passage. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks and that you are a speaking God and that you've left us examples um, to follow but your living word and that will speak um, to our hearts and minds. And Lord, we pray that by the power of your spirit, we might understand your word, that we might deeply apply it um, to our lives and that it might bear fruit uh, for your sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> If you're new to our church, I have two kids, um, and one is three and a half, and the, uh, the younger one is one and a half, and her name is Corey. Well, at uh, 22 months old, her name is Corey, and her favorite word right now is no, except she says it much more emphatically than that, and she says no. Um, as parents, we go, you know, we respond sarcastically, oh, yes, you're 22 months old. Of course you should be able to discern what time you should go to bed and what you should eat, how much TV you should watch. I mean, you know everything yourself, right? 
Uh, terrible too is a phase uh, that kids go through, asserting their independence. But uh, it is frustrating for the parents, and I wonder that's kind of how Paul felt uh, as they as he looked at the Corinthian church. Remember in chapter three, verse one, how he said, "Well, you're like infants in Christ. You didn't grow up." Uh, they, they were like toddlers bragging about their toys. My toy is bigger, except they weren't bragging about the toys. They were bragging about uh, their pastors. <laughs> My pastor is better than your pastor. Well, he's more eloquent than yours. Apollos is more eloquent um, than Paul. And Paul, well, he, I mean, look at his letters. He's so powerful in his letters. How about Cephas, Peter? I mean, he's been appointed as the chief apostle by Christ himself. And they were getting puffed up, associating uh, to these different leaders. They were thinking like the world. And so in these past three chapters, uh, Paul has been saying, no, no, we're all in the same team. We are one in Christ. We are God's church, not these pastor's churches. Pursue unity um, in Christ. And don't let the wisdom of the world seep in to the church and how we judge one another. No, look at the foolishness of the cross. The foolishness uh, in the cross is our wisdom. We think differently from the world. So pursue spiritual wisdom. He's told us. And last week in chapter 3, he's told us not to idolize our leaders, but to look beyond and see Jesus Christ through them. But in this chapter, in chapter 4, he does tell us to imitate, imitate our leaders. After all, verse 16, Paul shared the gospel with the Corinthian church. He's the one who gave birth to their, uh, to their faith. He is like a father to them, their spiritual father. And as a spiritual father, he calls them to come and imitate me. Imitate me. I urge you, verse 16, to imitate me. And this isn't an unqualified imitation, though. He's not just saying, do everything that I say. He sent uh, uh, Timothy, and he says, imitate. Uh, uh, he will show you the, my way of life, verse 17, in Christ Jesus. His way of life is Christ's way of life. His way of life in Christ Jesus. He will actually say it again in chapter 11, verse 1. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me. Follow me as I follow Christ. Uh, how should we imitate Paul? I, I see at least in three ways uh, that we could do this from our chapter. First, imitate Paul as he acts as a steward. As a steward answerable only to Christ. Imitate him, too, as he lives as a steward um, who knows, who's received everything from Christ, that it's not his achievements, but whatever he's achieved, whatever he is, he is because of Jesus. Imitate his humility. And three, imitate him as he lives as a fool in the world, in the eyes of the world, as he lives counterculturally. Um, in anticipation of that kingdom. Well, let's take a look at uh, what this all means. <clears throat> one of the names that Paul calls himself in verse 1, as you see there, is uh, one who is entrusted. Uh, that word actually is, in Greek, it's just one word, oikonomos, uh, from which we get the word economics. It means a manager. It means somebody who's entrusted with something. It's a trustee. He's a steward, somebody who has the master's, uh, uh, master's trust. Uh, and, and this was not a lowly position. When the master was gone, he was the one in command over the whole affairs of the house. 
And he, uh, he says that the Corinthian church should, tru- uh, should regard him as the one, as, as one who has been entrusted with the message of the cross, as a trustee, as a manager, as a steward. And the thing about a steward is that a steward is not answerable. He doesn't have to answer to other servants. He doesn't need to listen to other servants. He's singularly concerned about his master and his master's agenda, his master's affairs, what he would think of him. And that's how he tried to conduct his relationship with the Corinthians. Verse 3, I care very little, he says, I am, if I am judged by you or by any human court. Of course, he's not saying that he's above all criticisms. Um, any good leader Uh, It would be foolish to disregard what people say. But if he listens to constructive criticisms out there, it's not because he wants to please the people who are giving the criticism. If he listens to these people, it's because he wants to be a better servant, better steward for his master. He wants to uh, be faithful to the job that he's been given. So he says he didn't care very much about Corinthians' foolish assessment of him. Uh, The worldly wisdom seeping in, he didn't really care. He didn't listen. Uh, uh, He didn't care about that. He says he's conducted himself impeccably uh, with them, that his conscience is clear, verse 4. So he adds, it doesn't even matter what he thinks, what his conscience says about himself. Only thing that matters is not what other people think, not even what he himself thinks, but he's accountable only to Jesus. Verse 5, In the end, the only judgment that will matter is Christ. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. So the way he lived, he lived to please Christ. Christ only. He's accountable to Jesus. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Friends, how much do you think about what other people think of you? We think a lot about that, don't we? The Corinthian church, well, they started thinking about what other people thought, what other Corinthians thought. That's why they started to look down on Paul. He's weak by the wisdom of other people. He's not impressive as Apollos. And so they, they, looked, he, they looked down on Paul and sought other, other people. They were ashamed of his weakness. And don't we do the same? As we get our eyes off of Christ and towards other people, we live in a way that compromises our faith our love for our Lord. We live often as if the only thing that's important is not what Christ thinks of us, but what other people think of us. We make our life around there, around that, don't we? Isn't that why? I mean, think about just social media, proliferation of the social media, everything that we put on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, we carefully think about them, don't we? We make the perfect filter for each photo. And we think about every line that's in our LinkedIn profile. Isn't that why we work so hard to get into the best colleges? Uh, You know, part of it is actually job and our future and things like that. But often, actually, it's more about we want to seem like a capable person. We want to be well-regarded by others. And so we work so hard to get to the right college and the jobs. What jobs do we actually consider are the best, uh, best for us? Often... It's the jobs that have the best reputation, what other people think well of the job. We live for that. And how we raise our children, the pressure that we put on our children, 
uh, part of that. I mean, obviously, it's for their good, but part of it, I'm, I imagine, it's, it's about us because they are a reflection of our parenting, of my standing in the community. And we often then compromise our principles, our faith. We forget that we live for the praise of Jesus alone and not the praise of other people. I know that it's not easy to live for Christ alone. I mean, we're not geared that way. We're not raised that way. I'm Korean, and I was uh, raised um, to... Uh, and there's a Korean word called, uh, called nunchi. nunchi. Nunchi is the corner, these, this part of your eyes. Um, so we're taught to always not just look directly um, with our eyes, but also always look with the periphery of our eyes to see what other people out there are thinking, how other people, how everyone is reacting to me and what I am saying, and to constantly recalibrate what I'm saying, how I'm, what I'm doing, depending on other people's approval of me. We're taught that way from the very early age. Friends, it does not matter ultimately what other people think of you. It does not matter what your friends think of you, your family thinks of you, your colleagues thinks of you. Ultimately, those things do not matter. The only, the only praise that will matter on the day of the judgment, only my uh, well done my good and faithful servant will be from our Lord Jesus. It will mean the world, literally the world for us. Friends, let's not judge others by other people's standards. Let's not even judge ourselves by our, uh, judge, judge um, others by our own, even, uh, our own standards even. Let's think of Christ, his judgment his standards. Let's look at the world through his eyes and live to please him. On that day, even the hidden motives of our hearts will be revealed. Why we did the things that we did will be revealed. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Another way that we ought to imitate Paul is uh, his humility. His humility. C.S. Lewis, uh, Lewis uh, in Mere Christianity has this great chapter on pride. And he says the problem with pride uh, is that it's essentially competitive. You're not just satisfied doing something well. You're satisfied by doing something better than others. He puts it this way. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. Pride looks at other people and go, I am better than others. That's pride. And that was the problem with Corinthian church. They started being competitive within the church itself. They were puffing themselves up uh, with their association with these uh, people who are successful in different ways and putting others down. They started boasting about those things. What do we do? What do we do when people boast? Well, how do we handle pride? Australians have this thing called tall poppy syndrome. Um, there are a couple of them here. Um, Australians, uh, they, they look at these poppies that are sort of uh, standing taller than others. They just resent them. <laughs> they, they don't like them. They talk down on them until they learn the lesson not to put their head above others. 
They cut them down. Asians, I think, have a similar thing, though I think it's self-imposed. We don't want to stand out, so we actually deny. We sort of cut our heads <laughs> ourselves. We deny that we have any gifts at all. You're a great tennis player. If somebody says to you, you go, Ah, oh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not that good. There's so many other people who are better、um, than me. Oh, your wife cooks really well. Oh, no, no, no. This, this, this is too much salt.、Uh, it shouldn't have been cooked this way. We deny that this was a good thing given to us at all. And it's not.、Uh, we all know what's happening. It's not quite false humility, but it's false. It's not quite humility. Another way that we do, we deal with pride is uh, uh, sometimes. I would deny that.、Uh, another way、uh, to deal with it is to deny that、uh, actually anyone is more gifted than others. That we're all somehow just different. I mean, we are just different, but actually some of them, some of us, are more gifted than others, aren't we? You know, I was telling my wife Mary about my uh, roommate uh, at the Div School, Divinity School. He ended up. I mean, he was he was one of the most brilliant、uh, person that I knew. He ended up after his masters. He went on to、uh, Harvard and, and did a PhD, and he's now a tenured professor. He's written a book,、uh, published by Cambridge, and like he's just really a brilliant guy. So I was telling、um, uh, her about him, and Mary, Mary sort of pulled me aside. He, she said, "Oh, Hugh, but you could have done some of those things too." I was like, "Well, I don't think so. <laughs> Not really. I don't think I'm that gifted." You see, humility is not denying our gifts or insisting that everyone's just gifted in different ways. That we're all somehow gifted the same amount, but just different ways. We're not. But a humble person knows. Truly, true humility comes when we know that every good and perfect gift is given by God. That it's truly a gift that God has given. All of us, each of us, that whatever good that we have is a gift from Him, not something that we have just cultivated that we own ourselves. Let me take a look at verse seven. How Paul talks about it: For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? He didn't say that we're all the same. He said he's saying that we are different, that we are gifted differently,、uh, different amounts. But we are. But each gift comes from God. That we have received every good thing from God Himself. If He's given us these gifts, talents, brokenness, healing, wisdom, opportunities, grit to keep going, our、uh, uh, 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 abilities—they all come from God. Of course, it doesn't mean that our work is not involved. Our work is involved, and that's often where we get the get the puffed upness, right? Because we work hard for these things. But even that ability to work hard, it comes from God. God did anticipate a time when people would look at themselves and go, "I did this," and this is what He said to the、uh, to the Israelites. You may say to yourself, "My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth、uh, for me." But remember the Lord your God. It is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. God has given us these different gifts, and Paul would have been very keenly aware of this, right? Because although he is a trustee of the gospel, he is a steward of the gospel. This high position, he wasn't always there.、Uh, he wasn't always there. Remember when he was converted? He was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. 
It is God who appeared, Jesus who appeared and called Paul, Paul, for us also, why do you persecute me? It's Jesus who opened his eyes to the true faith in him. It's Jesus who has then given him all these gifts, all these experiences that God used to bring the gospel to the world. Paul was aware of his gifts having come from God. And that's what he means in verse 6 when he says he's applied all these things about Apollo, uh, to himself and Apollos. He has not gone beyond what's written. He has not gone beyond what the Scripture's assessment of each of us is, that we are mere stewards of God's gifts. That's how he thinks of himself. And that's also true of Corinthians. Think about the city of Corinth. How wretched that city was, a city known for its sexual immorality, known for its obsession with status and, and wealth. Out of that wretched city, God called each one of these Corinthians to be part of his holy people out of abundance of God's grace towards them. They had nothing in themselves they were offering to God. God chose each one of them and made them his people out of sheer grace of God. And they were gifted in many different ways. And Paul says, God has given you these gifts. These are gifts that God give, has given you so that you could use them for God's glory. And so it is with each one of us. We have been called by God out of his sheer grace and mercy. And God has given us all these different experiences, expertise, our ability, our affinities, all these different things. God has given them to us so that we might use it for God's glory. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Can you imagine a community that is really humble like this, that recognizes that every good and perfect gift comes from God and is able to praise God for them. No feeling of jealousy or envy in the church. No unnecessary criticisms that come from sort of our desire, our envy to cut people down. Um, that would do away with the divisions that are often in the church. And it would lead to great appreciation and words of praise for one another's gifts. Because it doesn't matter who has sang well or uh, who sang well, uh, who, uh, who did the singing and giving or serving and caring or preaching. We just praise God for them, for the gifts that God has given each of them. Because we would see the, the gifts as God's gifts, and so we'll be able to praise them, praise God for them. And I think it would encourage all of us to use our gifts more, to know that each of the gifts that God has given is God-given gifts, that we need to be good stewards of them. And not only that, as we use them, we know that people will be encouraged, that we will praise them, we'll encourage them when they use their gifts. And think about the tremendous witness that this sort of humility would bring to the world. Hong Kong is a very competitive city. We're constantly cutting others down. We're constantly trying to one-up one another. What if we were the kinds of people who just really appreciated every good thing when we see it because we know that it's God-given gifts that they have and we're able to praise God for them. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And finally, imitating Paul, I think, would mean that we would imitate his way of life, a way of life as a fool for Christ, as a servant of Christ, and not as, as, as a king. 
And that's what Paul says Corinthians were living like. Take a look in verse 8. You already, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign. Literally, that's you have become kings. And that without us. You see, the Corinthian church, they were pursuing wisdom. They were worldly wisdom, um, power, strength, um, and honor in that world, in Corinth back then. They were acting like the end has come already. They, were, they believed that they should, receive, they should be freed from all suffering, all weakness, and all dishonor. All the things that we will be freed from in the end when Jesus comes and brings the fullness of his kingdom here to earth. They were wanting that already. They were acting like they had that already. They were acting like kings in Paul's words. But of course, Paul says the kingdom of God has come already, but not yet fully. If, it's come, if it has come fully, well, it's, it's news for the apostles, news to the apostles. Because he says there is a procession. There is a triumphal procession. But the apostles are not the one triumphal generals leading the procession in the front, in victory. Actually, he says that the apostles are like those at the end of this procession, those captives, those people who are chained, who are destined to their death, who are going to their death in the Colosseum, verse 9. Instead of being called wise, they're being called fools. Instead of being called strong and being honored, they were regarded as weak and they were dishonored. Take a look at verses 11 to 13. I mean, look at all the ways that he is going through. To that very hour, to the moment there he's writing this letter, he's hungry. He's thirsty. These are basic needs. In rags, brutally treated, homeless. They worked the second job. They were cursed and persecuted and slandered and regarded, he says, as scum of the earth, the garbage of the world. No, they didn't live like kings. They didn't live in glory and honor and strength and, 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 and uh, wisdom. No. They look, verse 1, they lived as a slave, as a servant of Christ, a servant like his master, were following their master in the way of the cross, dying so that others might have life. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. If we're honest, though, we want to live like kings now, don't we? We pray for God to get us into good jobs and good schools, give us good spouses, good children. We want to live a, problem that's a, problem, live a life that's problem-free for God's glory, we say. But church, that time when we will not have problems, when our, all our illness, all our problems uh, will go away, when we will reign, like, uh, reign with Christ, will come but it's not here yet. Meanwhile, we're to pick up our cross and follow Jesus on the way of the cross. We are to do whatever it takes to bring the good news of Jesus to the world. You see, God has entrusted all of us. We are all stewards of the mystery of the cross, foolishness to the world, but the power to save everyone who believes we're not all called to be itinerant preachers like Paul and suffer like Paul. 
but we are all called to be Christ's servants, to make that mystery of the cross known to the world so that others might come to know Jesus. Maybe that is through your sacrificial giving. Once again, I come, I quote this a lot, but I, I just think of him uh, in, in this funeral. Uh, the, <laughs> the preacher said about this man, he could have been a rich man. He could have died a rich man, but by God's grace, he didn't because he gave away so much. He didn't have that much as he died by, God, by God's grace. Sacrificial giving towards work of the church, mission partners, just causes around the world. Maybe it's through your volunteering when you're really tired after a long week of work. In the evenings, maybe it's through using your gifts and time and energy and counseling people, reading the Bible one-to-one in your sacrifice. For some, it may be giving up your well-paid jobs and becoming missionaries and pastors. In this church, thankfully, are many fools for Christ. Some of us around here have given up their jobs as doctor, as accountant, as engineer, policeman to serve the church full time. There are those who have given up higher paying jobs to serve in the church. And there are many who serve without pay, any pay at all. Uh, when they could get others, uh, could look for a job um, they could, where they would be better compensated, at least get paid something. So that they volunteer their time in this way so that the church of God could grow, that we can grow as Christ's body. And there are those who go out, like Willie and Hannah, as we've heard, go out with the tracts out there. In 90% of the, 99% of the time, people will ignore you. They will treat you like nuisance, but they go because we've been entrusted with the mystery of the cross that is foolishness for the world, but for some, it's power of God to save because they are stewards. Friends, follow their example. Follow their example as they follow Christ. We're not all called to do significant things, but we are all called to show the way of the cross to the world there needs to be some area in our life that shows that we are sacrificing something for the sake of the gospel, that we are dying in some way so that others might have life in Christ. Remember Jesus' call to each one of us. It's a hard one. Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our Lord Jesus how he humbled himself, gave up his life so that we might have life. We thank you for the example of Paul, Apollos, and many others in the scripture that shows that way of life, how they've died so that others might have life. We thank you for the examples of many of us in this church who serve self-sacrificially, who give themselves to others that we might be built up as church. Lord, help us to follow their examples. Help us to be stewards who are mindful that we are stewards of Jesus, your son. 
mindful that your judgment is coming. Help us to be stewards who are aware that everything that we have is by your grace, that we might live that way. We might truly be humble and help us to follow you. Help us to become fools in the eyes of the world. Help us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow you that we might have life. Lord, we can't do this by ourselves because this is foolishness to the world. It's foolishness to the the parts of our hearts that deny you. So, Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit. Apply these words deeply in our hearts that we might live in the way, the path of the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.